0: Before we turn to the reading of the scriptures this morning, I want to take a moment to celebrate that we have, as most of you I think have seen, added Will Wellman to the staff. Reverend Will Wellman came to us from a large church in Florida, Palmasia, where he had my job. So it's nice that the church has finally found somebody who can teach adults something about Bible and theology will be with us for about 20 hours a week, and like Claire Barry this summer, uh, is on just a contract, but I hope you'll get to know him, and in two specific ways, he'll be starting a class on Thursday mornings called Faith Seeking Understanding, and it'll be uh, a dive into theology, uh, looking through a book uh, by Dan Migliori, who was one of our theology professors at Princeton. It's accessible, it's written for lay people, it's very like Those of you who remember Shirley Guthrie's Christian Doctrine, just a little bit different. So I hope you'll avail yourself of that. And then i will start a class on Sunday mornings called Spiritual Practices for the 21st Century. And uh, information will be coming out a little bit more about both of those. They'll start in October. But I hope you'll avail yourself of those opportunities and get to know Will. We're delighted to have he and his wife Taylor uh, joining us. Turning now to our text, at the close of Matthew chapter 19, Jesus reminds the disciples that the kingdom of heaven would be radically different from the way things are in the world. After all, in the prevailing culture, to the victor goes the spoils, and might makes right. But in the kingdom, Jesus insists, many who are first will be last, and the last ones will be first. To reinforce this claim that the kingdom turns the world's values upside down, Matthew adds Jesus' unsettling parable about the laborers in the vineyard. The text reminds us that grumbling is not just confined to Old Testament peoples. Let us hear the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hide, hire laborers for his vineyard? After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. beginning with the last, and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But I replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. The owner of the vineyard asks, Are you envious because I'm generous? The answer is yes. You bet we are. Earlier this week I was in San Diego for the Outreach Foundation's board meeting. Amy picked me up BA so late on Tuesday night it almost was Wednesday morning. And choosing conversation as a way to stay awake on the drive home, she asked, So what are you text or you're preaching this Sunday? The laborers in the Vineyard from Matthew. I hate that text. My business wife said to me, it seems so unfair. Well, she's not alone. The parable rubs the wrong way. Its visions of fairness, of equality, chafe. On the Southwest flight home, I had scored a coveted A-25 seating assignment. (laughs) Standing in line, waiting to board, feeling... (laughs) Smug. I was thinking about this text and I found myself wondering how I'd feel if the person at the gate making the boarding announcements asked those of us who held A and B cards to step aside and sit down because tonight we're beginning boarding from C60 to C31 the thought of being shoehorned into a middle seat at the back of the plane with no legroom because I had to stuff my backpack in the seat in front of me made me break out in a cold sweat. I understand that last week Donovan mentioned how much fun it was to be trapped in a car with me for an hour trying to get out of the parking lot after an NSC soccer game. It's, I tell you, this, this text hits me in a wrong place. It's not pretty. This, this pesky parable, this annoying little story, never fails to create a reaction. The apparent lesson is that people are not rewarded for what they deserve. Some vineyard workers show up for an hour of work at the end of the day. They get paid the same as those who have sweated all day long. It's simply not fair. Now, I know there are protections for those who work. We might grumble, but we can expect it. The the first time I pulled into a gas station in New Jersey when I went to seminary, I got out and tried to fill up my car, and the owner came out and fussed at me. What do you think you're doing? Put the nozzle back. Stunned, I did what I was commanded. Then he nodded to a worker who was paid to pump the gas. That's the law in New Jersey. It preserves jobs. What's the line from Hamilton? Everything's legal in New Jersey. One commentator notes, We may be entrepreneurial enough to agree that the owner of the vineyard can run his business any way he pleases, but we cannot rest comfortably with his payroll policies. We want to agree, yes, that everyone needs a job, needs a fair day's wage, keep food on the table. But if the master is determined to be generous, why not pay the fellows who worked all day a bonus? That would be fair. The way generosity gets passed around in this tale abrades our sense of justice. Boy, doesn't it? What's helpful? is to get a sense of where this story fits in Matthew's Gospel. What's going on with Jesus when he tells this story? Who is he addressing? What's happened before and what comes after? In the passage just before this parable, Peter has just asked Jesus what he and the other disciples can expect from following him. We've given up everything to follow you, Peter says, what will be given to them in return? Then Jesus tells the parable of the vineyard. And what immediately follows, it is the disciples, James and John's mother, confronting Jesus and making a special plea for her boys. She asked Jesus to give them the the best seats in the kingdom, one on his left and one on his right. Politely, but firmly, Jesus lets her know that she doesn't know what she's talking about because, as Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, his throne will not be made out of gold and jewels, but out of wood and nails in the shape of a cross. It it helps to know where this parable fits in Matthew's telling of Jesus' story. That before and after Jesus tells it, he is his own disciples who are jockeying for position, wanting the best seats in the kingdom, wanting to get the A boarding pass. Might it be that Jesus tells this as a rebuke to the disciples? Don't think that because you've been close to me thus far, you're now the favored ones for all time. Jesus said, there, there are other ones coming to follow me. As well. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright notes God's grace, in short, is not the sort of thing that you can bargain with or try to store up. It, it isn't the sort of thing that one person can have a lot of and someone else only a little. The point of the story is that what people get from having served God in God's kingdom is not actually a wage at all. It's not strictly a reward done for work. God doesn't make contracts with us as if we could bargain or negotiate for a better deal. God makes covenants in which God promises us everything and asks of us everything in return. When God keeps promises, God is not rewarding us for effort, but doing what comes naturally. This is what God's character looks like. It's God's overflowing, generous nature. One of the surprises I've encountered since graduating from seminary entering ministry is how some of the names of the parables have changed over the years. Have you noticed that? Most of us growing, grew up calling that, that other surprising, disturbing parable from Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Then it became fashionable to call it the parable of the two lost sons, or the parable of the dysfunctional family. Since the older son who stayed home and worked harder than the hired hands is as lost in his anger and jealousy as is the brother who hightailed it to the far country and squandered his life in riotous living. But now it's often listed as the parable of the prodigal father or the loving father, to to focus our attention on the lavish love the father shows both sons. Similarly, uh, I've seen a number of modern commentators who have shifted the name of this parable from the laborers in the vineyard to the parable of the generous employer. The shift invites us to focus not so much on those who are hired to work in the vineyard at the crack of dawn or at nine or noon or even those brought in later in the afternoon at three or five rather our attention is fixed on the vineyard owner and his desire almost obsession to find workers and employ them the vineyard owner who represents God is so filled with compassion for those left out that even late in the day they are invited to the workplace. And so we hear the owner of the vineyard say, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Marvelous British poet William Blake knows this tender, compassionate, graceful God, this incarnate one who took flesh to enter the depths of human suffering and pain. The front of the bulletin knife included some verses from his beautiful poem On Another's Sorrow. Can I see another's woe and not be in sorrow too? Can I seek another's grief? and not seek for kind relief. He doth give his joy to all. He becomes an infant small. He becomes a man of woe. He doth feel sorrow too. Think not thou canst sigh a sigh, and thy maker is not by. Think not thou canst weep a tear, and thy maker is not near. Oh, he gives to us his joy that our grief he may destroy. Till our grief is fled and gone, he doth sit by us and moan. So I'm starting to think differently about this parable. Maybe the vineyard owner is on to something. For one thing, he did not rest until everybody was working. If it weren't for him, none of them would have gotten a job. If it wasn't for him, none of them would have gotten anything. For another thing, he made it clear that he wanted every single one of his workers. They weren't there. They were there because he invited them. They were there because... They were equally valuable to him. They all had a place in his vineyard. So is the story unfair? I suppose it is. The unfairness is rooted in the complete fairness of grace. That vineyard does not run on the seniority system. That vineyard does not reward for longer tenure. There are no advancement opportunities in that vineyard. All the kingdom of heaven offers is an invitation to work and completely equal benefits to all. That's so fair that it doesn't seem fair. It's like our story in Exodus. Everyone got the same manna and quail. Did you catch that? Now, some turn it into manicotti, others turn it into banana bread. I mean, there's a lot you can do with manna. I love that joke. Isn't that great? They couldn't hoard it, they had to collect it each day. And they learned, in spite of their grumbling, to lean into the grace of God. That was for all. My friend Bill Carter tells a marvelous story from his childhood to illustrate the point. Just picture it, he writes. Grandma pulls a hot apple pie out of the oven. Three kids circle around. Wait, she says. You all can have a big piece. Let it cool off a bit. When it cools, she issues her plan. The oldest child will take a knife and cut the pie into pieces. The youngest will select the first piece, then the middle kid, and finally the biggest. That's not fair, says the oldest. I was here first. But grandma's rule sticks. Do you know what happens? Of course you do. The oldest kid gets out a laser-guided measuring stick just to be sure little sister didn't get one extra crumb than he did those pie slices are exactly the same size. And that's what seems so unfair. And yet it's completely fair. In fact, it's so fair that if it weren't for grandma, there wouldn't be an apple pie at all. Which is to say everyone gets more than they deserve. And that's the good news. Jesus gives us a parable about giving up all comparisons. The vineyard is a place where we can say, this person has been here longer, that person has been working harder. There's no need to compare, contrast, or compete because it will never get any of us in a better position in God's eyes. No, no. We're all here and wanted and needed. So let's leave it at that. And live in love and fairness as if everybody here belongs so that we can live out the God-sized dreams of the kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen.